0: Welcome back to the interlude podcast. You are listening to episode 97, a conversation with Tracy Milgram. Tracy is a pre-viver. And if you're not aware, the term pre-viver means someone who has an elevated predisposition to being diagnosed with cancer due to a specific risk. For Tracy, she found out that she was a BRCA mutation carrier at the age of 21, after she had already had three breast lumpectomies. On today's episode, she shares how she navigated that frequent surveillance period for the next decade until she ultimately underwent prophylactic surgery to reduce her risk of both breast and ovarian cancer. Tracy is the founder of BRCA Strong, which is an incredible organization that is designed to alleviate the emotional and financial burdens of women facing breast and ovarian cancer, regardless of genetic predisposition, through advocacy, direct assistance, empowerment, and events. It is really a wonderful organization. She provides so much support to women through care packages and other ways of just wonderful and incredible assistance. And she talks about that all on today's episode. She also shares what her subsequent breast reconstruction has been like and a lot of the challenges that has come with that and some of the multiple surgeries that she's had to follow the initial one. She talks about how she empowered herself after the diagnosis of the BRCA mutation to really find her own voice and made decisions that were best for her life. And this is something that, Many, many struggle with. And I think that you'll find this conversation really helpful and empowering. Just as a heads up, I had some issues with the audio on this one. So, around minutes 15 for the next few minutes, it's a little bit lower. And so, just feel free to turn your volume up at that point. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Tracy Milgram to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on today. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about your story, who you are, all of that good stuff? Sure. My name is Tracy Milgram. I'm the
1: founder of, of Strong, which was founded six and a half years ago as I found out I carried the genetic mutation at the young age of 21 years old. I personally underwent three lumpectomies by the age of 21. And in 2004, I was like, what's my next step? Where are we going to my breast surgeon? and He's like, well, you know, genetic testing we can do now. And I'm like, okay, sign me up. And little did I know, you know, what was gonna come from it. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know what the results were gonna be. I knew that I lost my youngest aunt at 40 years old of breast cancer. So for me, it was, I needed some more answers. And at 21, you know, I sat with a nurse. She wasn't even a genetic counselor. She wasn't a geneticist. And, you know, she's like, oh, the doctor will be in soon. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I look over and I'm like, oh, it says BRCA negative. Sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden, she's like, "Well, the doctor is not going to be able to come today, so I'm going to give you your results. And any questions you have, you know, we can go from there." So I remember looking at this nurse who was probably 15 years older than me and saying, "You know, well, you don't carry the BRCA one mutation, but you carry the BRCA two mutation." And I'm like, "What does that mean? You know, like, what do I put into perspective? You know, when I had my testing." I sat in a room by myself in a four by four room, watched a VHS video of genetic testing. You know, it wasn't like it is today. So for me, you know, I didn't know where to go. And all I remember when I left there was she's like, you have an 87% chance for breast cancer and a 68% for ovarian cancer. And I'm like, okay, hey, I have a lot to think about.
0: Now, mm. the lumpectomies that you had at age 21. Those were not for cancer. So it started
1: at 18, was my first lump back to me. I was in the shower. I had just graduated high school, and I was like, "What is this?" And I remember running out of the shower and going to my mom and she's like, "We need to get you to the gynecologist." So we went to the gynecologist. She is like, "Well, we need to do a mammogram. I'm not overly concerned. You know, it's painful but let's, let's get a mammogram. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm only 18 years old and mammograms for older women. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what was really going to happen. So I went for a mammogram and then from there, they sent me for a MRI and from the MRI, I had an ultrasound. And next thing I knew is I was having a lumpectomy at 18. And I'm like, Whoa. And what was the pathology on that one? It was benign. Um mm-hmm. At 19, the exact same thing happened and it was benign. And then at 21, when I, they actually found it in my scans. So I didn't feel it. They found it in my scans. And again, you know, this was still all very new to me, like what I knew. So I was like, okay, now what, you know, I don't feel it. You guys see it. They're like, well, we need to do another lumpectomy. So early by the age of 21, I had three scars around, you know, my nipples is that's how they were done. And I'm just like, what's next? Where do I go? And, you know, this is pre-Angelina Jolie. So for me, you know, there wasn't information on BRCA really out there, BASA NYU, like a couple of the centers had some information, but not an, an enormous amount. You know, they basically said to me at the age of 21, you can go on tamoxifen. And I'm like, I'm not going on tamoxifen. You know, let's do screenings, let's do surveillance, let's see what's going on. You know, I wanna have kids, I wanna get married. So, you know, pushing fast forward a little bit from the age of 21 to 32, I had scans either every three months or every six months, varying on the results of each scan. And, you know, I just kept saying, I wanna have kids, I wanna nurse them. So I rushed through, got married had two healthy children and then when my daughter was turning seven and my son was turning three, I decided it was time to have a full hysterectomy and a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy.
0: Now, let's jump back a little bit to being in your 20s, living with this BRCA mutation. I have a lot of women who ask me, well, how do I date? right? How do I have these conversations? Or when do when do I bring it up? And do you have any guidance or experience to share about that?
1: So you know, one thing that I could say is I was in a relationship when I found out I was BRCA positive, and it put a lot of pressure on me and on the man that I was dating. You know, it's, you know we didn't talk about can you pass the genetic mutation down to your children yet right like this wasn't even spoken about because we didn't talk about it back in 2004 so you know i was very honest on this is what i wanted i wanted to get married have kids and as soon as my youngest was two or three i was taking preventative action and i think that did put a lot of stress you know on trying to become pregnant on going through life because me i knew personally Every three to six months, I was having this anxiety meeting somebody when going through the BRCA mutation and dating, you know, be honest, be open, you know, you're a human and anybody can carry this genetic mutation. You know, it can come from the male side. I think by being open and being honest with somebody that you are dating is so imperative because it can change your life. You know, it, taking preventative action is always our goal, right? When we find out we have this mutation, but not knowing what's next is the unknown. And I think that we live in that fear and put that fear on our significant other. So I think just the open line of communication and explaining what it is to have the BRCA mutation, you're at a higher risk. You're not getting You know, you're, they're not saying you're going to definitely have breast or ovarian cancer, any of the other cancers that go with it, you know, you're at a higher risk. And I just think that we need to balance that out instead of putting so much pressure on our our own selves and our significant others, or just dating in general.
0: That's a great perspective. You know, I think it sounds like you really had a positive mindset. um, And I don't know if it seemed like that at the time
1: when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was really strong. You know, I just came out of nowhere and was like, this is what I want. This is what's going to happen. And I mean, I will never forget. He's the father of my children, my ex-husband saying to him, like, this is what I will do. And if you're not going to stick by me, then it's over because like, I knew what I wanted and I knew that breast cancer had hit so many generations in my family including my own grandmother, you know, my, watching my Nana, she was older, she was 70, but her two other sisters that had it, you know, again, one at 40 and the other one was in her late sixties. But again, just knowing that I can catch it and my children can see me was really the positive outlook that I kept seeing to myself.
0: I think that this conversation is really important on many levels, but this one in particular, as people listening to it, You know, I think that women sometimes are put down for having such strong opinions about what they want. Uh, And I think it is empowering to hear that you said, look, this is is what I need in my life and I'm going to do it. You know, I I hope that it empowers somebody else listening to speak up for themselves if they have, um, you know, a health condition driving some of their medical, their choices.
1: You have to have your own voice during this, because if not, you know, you're just looked at, I'm like, no, this is my choice. This is what I'm going to do. And either you can stick by me or you can go. I know that I want to be here for a longer life for my children.
0: And now kind of putting going forward, how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you decided to have the surgeries done?
1: So I was 32 when I had a full hysterectomy. And then six months later, I had a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy with expanders and then reconstruction.
0: And what was that experience like being a young mom going through this life defining surgery? So, you know, we all talk about our hysterectomies, right? Like how it's
1: so hard menopause, we're changing, we're you know, our mood swings, I think that's so much put is put into it and not really taken per individual. For me personally, yes, getting thrown into menopause at 32 was not easy. Hot flashes, you know, I live in South Florida, first of all, so I'm already in the heat, right? So like standing at the games, I'm like, I'm dripping wet, but you know, like, those are things that we can manage. You know, the things that we can't manage aren't spoken about our bone density right like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about make sure you have a bone scan before you have a hysterectomy especially in a young female because you're going to get osteoporosis or we're going to talk about heart health and I think that if I would have known more of that I probably would have been a little bit more afraid and just wanted to do some more research but because I didn't know any of this you know again, you know, seven years ago, when I had my hysterectomy, it was totally different. We weren't really talking about all this hormone therapy and what we can do. You know, I said, this is what we're going to do. And this is how I'm going to live. And I made it through menopause. You know, the worst part of menopause for me is hot flashes. I'm going to tell you my inside trick, everybody, peppermint essential oil, doTERRA, promise you put it on in the morning, put it on your sheets, put it on your bed pillows. And it's a game changer.
0: And where do you put it on yourself?
1: Is there a particular spot? My wrist behind my neck, underneath my nose. And then I put, that's where I put it on me personally. And I put it on in the morning and I put it on at night and it avoids the hot flashes. You know, people are like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, because when you think about it, Vicks vapor, right? When you put it on, it's a cooling sensation through your body. So is peppermint essential oil and it's so so smart.
0: That's so smart.
1: And I used it for like somebody told me about it, like an older lady one day, and I was like, come on. And then from there, like I literally I carry it with me everywhere I go. Like if I feel like even if I'm anxious or I'm having anxiety, like I just put it on and it kind of takes me out of that zone space and having the hot flashes, and they just go away.
0: That is a great, great tip. And it's something so simple that is not prescription medications that have a bunch of other side effects and all this stuff. Right. And people
1: don't realize, you know, like the little things that we can do that can adjust our lives.
0: And, and that I think was one of the reasons why social media is so helpful because people get to be a part of these communities and connect with others that they wouldn't normally connect with and Get such great information.
1: Now we could talk about the mastectomy part. Part of
0: yes. (laughs) How Um, was that?
1: It was scary, you know. Again, knowing the unknown of what I was going to come out and look like. Um, The first thing that was the hardest thing for me to accept was that I wasn't going to have any nipples. You know, my breast surgeon said to me, Tracy, like, I can leave your nipples, but you're doing this, taking preventative action. There's no data, again, remember everybody, this was seven years ago, that keeping your nipples was safe. So for me, I was like, take them. I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I thought that I would feel less of a woman, couldn't like bring myself to terms with it, and was scared like when I saw myself that I would obviously go crazy. So what I did was I casted my nipples before I had a mastectomy. So I have imprints of my own nipples. So, if I ever wanted a tattoo or I have them made as prosthesis, I can wear them. I've personally worn them, I think, two or three times. And for me, it was very traumatizing, actually. It kind of brought me back to where I was. And I'm like, okay, forget it. These are done. These are gone. I got rid of them. They're like hidden in the back of the closet. And just realizing, you know, what I did was for my health. And I look at my kids who are so supportive, which gave me a different perspective. Like when I was home from my mastectomy, I would say like four weeks post-surgery, you know, I still had my drains. when my little girl looked at me and said, you know, you're like a butterfly, you'll be back to beautiful again. I, I just kind of said, you know what, this is all worth it and I can do it. And that's where we started Braca Strong from was my daughter telling me, you know, I was like a butterfly. I'm like, you're seven years old. How do you even understand this concept? But, you know, being honest, being open and explaining what was going to happen, whether she understood it or not. You know, some of us don't want to tell our little ones. Some of us want to share. Some of us think they don't understand. Well, my daughter caught
0: on. That's incredible. And tell me about Braca Strong how you started it, what it is, what services you offer.
1: Perfect. So Bracca Strong was started, we'll be in our seventh year this year in June. So we're super excited. And we'll have our first gala this year in September. So we're super excited. Oh, that's amazing. And it started based on my daughter, you know, telling me I was like a butterfly and thinking of like what logo we can make and how we can impact the community. And like two months or three months before I had my hysterectomy, I was like, there's no groups. Like, what am I doing? I need support. I need other women that look like me, you know? So I started Braca Strong on Facebook just as a small group. It's over 3,500 women national now. Um, A safe place for women to go to talk, right? I'm nervous. I'm going in for a mastectomy. You know, what do I need? How can I prepare? You know, I live in Chicago. What is there a plastic? surgeon here you know just a safe place where we can go and vent if you're having difficulties at home or you don't have enough support like I wanted a place where women can just go if you're having a bad day if you feel like crap go in there and share that it's okay to not be okay you know and giving yourself that space I thought was really imperative during this journey so we created that and realizing you know the impact that I had made and the connections with physicians. Um, my whole time was knowledge is power, know your options. And I felt like I was never really truly given all my breast reconstruction options and created an educational space for women, gynecological questions, you know, healthy heart, um, PTSD, and survivorship. I felt like this was the place for it to be. So we created a nonprofit and have grown. And now we offer four different packages to fund women as they're going through either treatment or a mastectomy. We launched with a program called Bras for Brave Beauties, which is for prosthetics, bras, and lymphedema sleeves. And you know, COVID hit and we're like, what are we gonna do? No events, no fundraising. I said, we're not giving up. These women are going in alone to surgery. They're going into treatment. What else can we do? So I created a pre-mastectomy care package for women that includes a robe or a pajama set that has drain holders as well as a post-mastectomy bra and pillows to go underneath your arm or a shirt that has drain holders because as you and I know, we don't want to walk out and have our drains out, right? They need to be hidden. They need to go into pockets. People need to know that this exists. There is outwear, For mastectomies created just for us. And that's our pre-mastectomy care package. Then we have warrior crates, which is created by our medical director, Dr. Alexia Gaffney, who's a breast cancer survivor. Oh,
0: she's She's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's
1: our medical director, um, Palpy2 in and created warrior crates for women who are going in for chemotherapy, everything you need in one bag sent to you. And then this year, as of March, we just launched a gynecological care package for any kind of gynecological cancers. As you, I'm sure, know, gynecological cancers are the most underfunded in research and more attention. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. And we want to give women that safe place to go for gynecological cancers as well. And I have brought on Dr. John Diaz to continue to educate. In gynecological cancers, and that package includes two wellness items of an eye mask and a heart pillow that you can put in the microwave or you can put in the freezer with the lavender scent, which is safe. It is not into your body, you're not <laughs> digesting it. I'm so that you're, you're saying that. With pillows, with bravery, recovery words, um, love and support. And then also, as we all know, we forget that we are sexy women and badass for everything that we have gone through. So in the gynecological cancer care packages, we also have included a sexy pair of underwear for ladies. And doTERRA essential oils, um, peppermint and wild orange As wild orange is a healing for scars, so you can put orange on your scars and then the peppermint, swear by it, best thing ever. And that's what's included in our packages as well as we have Thrive Cosmetics, which is really important because if you look good, you feel good. If you wake up and you're looking at yourself, you know, making those eyebrows that you need or putting on those eyelash extensions, you know, we're grateful for Thrive Cosmetics to make sure that every pocket goes out, has that in it as well.
0: That is incredible. So two questions for you. Number one, do you have to have a BRCA mutation to take advantage of these?
1: You do not. We are. So it's Braca Strong supports women, survivors, survivors, or thrivers, regardless of predisposition. And that's some confusion that we have seen in the community. So thank you for asking that. You do not have to carry any genetic mutation to be part of Braca Strong. It's called Braca Strong just because it's based on my own personal journey.
0: And if someone's listening to this, and I mean, I want all my patients to have these, how can they get them?
1: So they can go on our website at www.bracastrong.org. And under our programs, there's an application that must be filled out and it's shipping anywhere in the United States.
0: That is wonderful. I imagine that, you know, there's a lot of fundraising that you guys do, right? To get all this and to support it. What's that like? Did you have a business degree? I mean, you know, starting this incredible company, you make it sound really easy, but I'm sure it was not that easy.
1: So it wasn't that easy. And, you know, COVID gave me more of a challenge. But last year we went, I'll be honest, from a $20,000 organization to quadrupling that almost. We did absolutely amazing. I do face trials and tribulations, you know, bringing in sponsorships and doing fundraisers, especially during COVID you know, we're blessed because no donation is too small. You know, if you can go on and make a dollar, that dollar donation adds up after a while. We do have a program called Sponsor a Woman, which, for example, if you had a a friend that was just diagnosed and you wanted to send her a package, you can go online for $150 and sponsor a woman. Um, All of our packages retail at a $250 value or more. And really just starting to come back together and do fundraisers now is what we're doing. We just set up our first fundraiser for May in person, and we'll be doing some back online and, you know, supporting our shop and purchasing t-shirts and items that we have are always to support and help us fundraise.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations to you for doing this work and it's so needed in the community.
1: Thank you. And you asked me, how did it, like, where did it come I from? I worked in pharma for a couple of years and then partnered with a business partner, which didn't work out and decided, you know, while I can right now, my kids are so young, let's go full throttle, brackish strong. And that's what I've done for the last three years. And I've donated like 24 hours a day and seven days a week to the organization. And do your kids know about your mutation? Um, my daughter is very aware of, what is the BRCA mutation and then the 50% that she can carry it and says, you know, mommy, I'm going to do what you did and I'm going to get this and it's not going to get me. And, you know, if that's her mindset and that's her goal, you know, she wants one child, she's 12. We talk about it all the time, you know, screenings going for, you know, ovarian scans and just knowing your body and know know your breasts, know as you get older, they're going to change, you know, do we start self-breast exams? No, but we do talk about them because they're really important, especially knowing that I found my first lump at 18. So for my daughter, it's easier. My son is, you know, he's nine. He's a little unsure of it and questions a lot of it. He just right now with what I've gone through since December, he just wants to see me get up and Get better and get stronger and be back to the mom and coaching his sports and having fun like we do.
0: It's hard. It's hard for kids of that age. But I think what you say really touches on a point that I talk to patients about a lot is that your kids will be okay. They just they want you to be mom. You know, I think a lot of people are understandably nervous about hair falling out and what their kids are going to react. And, you know, but the kids just they need to know mommy's gonna be okay if you know, if that's the scenario and that they're loved and that there's someone caring for them.
1: I think that that's a really good point. And, you know, this, this time around showed me different, you know, I underwent a deep flap in January and had several complications. And from the deep flap, I became septic and underwent a latissimus flap and, You know, my kids were with my ex-husband during the time and I brought them home. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to be mom. And I wasn't ready to be mom. Like I wasn't strong enough. I was super weak. And, you know, my kids got to see a very vulnerable part of me that they've never seen. They've always seen me as a fighter, get back up. So this time was different. So like now my son calls me when he's not with me and he's like, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Can I do anything for you? So just knowing and reassuring them that we will be okay. You know, sometimes we get knocked down in life and we can get back up. But the same thing, like I tell him when he gets off his bike, you know, you fall, you get cut, you stand up and you shake it off.
0: And can you talk a little bit about what led to the deep flap? Sure.
1: So in 2019, my body pushed out the implant on my right side. And I walked around for 16 months flat. Um,
0: just in- say, sorry to interrupt. When you say pushed out the implant, did it, did it rupture? What happened?
1: So basically I woke up and my breast turned blue straight across. My scar was blue. And I was like, this is a problem. And you know, the whole flashlight, let's go underneath and see. And I went in and I was like, Whoa, this is a little scary. And I had torn my pec muscle three years ago. So I didn't know if it was just like signs of that. And I called my physician and I was like, I think I need to be seen. I was like, my breast is blue. And she's like, yeah, come now. And I was like, okay. And I went in and she's like, you need to go for an ultrasound. And I found out that my implant was two millimeters from my skin. So rushed in on Friday, the 13th and took that implant out. And my option was to get another implant put in, but after having four sets of implants, I was like, something's not right. Let's figure it out. You know, seven years ago, deep flap really was not being done as much. And let me see what my options are. And, you know, obviously being an advocate for the community and educating all over the world, you know, I knew deep flap was an option and I just couldn't find somebody locally in Florida. I had a really hard time and was fighting to go out of state for a really long time. And just after 16 months decided like, I need my life back. I wasn't a woman anymore. My, you know, gynecological parts were gone. I had no nipples. I had one breast. I'm like, what is going on and mentally caused a lot of PTSD and depression, you know, and that's another thing we don't talk about is like being honest with ourselves and fighting those inner battles, you know, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but we have to realize what's going on. So I was scheduled November 1st to go in for a deep flap with a physician and something just wasn't sitting right with me. And I'm like, all right, let me just go for another opinion. Like, I know I'm, I like, I think I'm crazy because I've seen so many doctors, but like, just my gut wasn't telling me it was okay. And I walked into an office and I met with a physician and like, even before she heard my story, she looked at me and she goes, I see the hurt in your eyes. And I just started like hysterical crying to know that somebody else can feel my pain. Cause like, you know, when you go through this, especially I think as a provider, you know, it's harder, right? It's not, I made the choice to cut off healthy body parts. And now I'm dealing with all these complications. Like I never thought that I'd have 13 breast surgeries and just continue to face complication and after complication. And she's like, all right, I think this is what we need to do. We need to go in and put an expander in on one side, and then we'll do the deep flap a couple of weeks later. So December 15th, I went in for the deep flap, which I, well, December 15th, I went in for an expander, which I thought was only going to be on one side, but my left side started doing what my right side did and was turning blue. So she's like, it's a good thing we bring two expanders and we hope we don't drop one. And I'm like, great. You know, but I couldn't even think about it. I didn't have a chance to think about it before I was rolled into the OR, like, It needed to be done. I didn't need any more complications. She's like, I want to save your skin for the deep. So I'm like, perfect. So about a week later, of course, I had an infection um, that didn't want to go away. So my deep was originally scheduled for the end of February, which now got moved to January 24th. So, you know, I had to move everything with Braca Strong because here we are, you know, scheduled out months. So I move everything. I go in for the deep flap. Um, I'm doing okay. At least I think I'm doing okay. And all of a sudden, like I just start leaking and oozing and I smell and I'm like, it's not my body, not like a body odor. It's the infection smell. And like, I've heard so many people talk about like how there's an infection smell, but you don't know it unless you live it. So we tried to treat it with antibiotics for several weeks didn't work. Um, I ended up going septic. I became severely anemic and had to get two pints of blood and some iron and had to go in and get my left breast deep flap removed because it died. Um, from there, you know, super traumatizing. Didn't, didn't know like what was next. I'm like, when I found this out, I'm like, I'm just going to go flat She's like, you've come so far, let's do a latissimus flap so you can heal at the same time recovery-wise. I said, okay. And that was it. I woke up, um, I had a latissimus flap done and a deep flap done. So now I've had both procedures and I'm healing. I still have a little bit of an infection and in some open parts, but I'm getting better. And I start my iron transfusions this week and- just here to continue to be an advocate and share and just know your breast reconstruction options know what you're try to prepare yourself as you can mentally and know that there's women out there that are going through just what you're going through and the support systems here for you
0: thank you for sharing that and for being open you know as you were talking I was thinking of kind of two things that you said one about you know you didn't trust your gut something was telling you that it was wrong and I think, It is really, really important to listen to your brain, to your gut, to whatever part of your body that's trying to communicate with you to tell you that something doesn't seem wrong. I think so often people push those feelings away and it doesn't work. You know, you have to, you have to feel good about your decision.
1: A hundred percent. And that was the best thing that I ever did for myself was like, go with what I said.
0: And the other part also was when you were talking about, you know, the PTSD and the mental Impact. I think so often we focus on the physical and the recovery from a physical standpoint, but mentally it can be harder if, if not, you know, and worse in some, in some ways.
1: I would say that this period was the worst mental period that I've ever gone through. I've not really opened up about it. Um, to be honest, this is the first time that I'm am opening up about what I've been through recently. Um, I'm more than happy to share. You know, obviously, knowledge is power, and sharing and educating. But the mental aspect, I don't think, is offered enough help. I think that when you're in the hospital, when you're recovering from a deep flap, you're in ICU for 40s. You know, you're in a hospital for 40s. Like, send a social worker in. Send somebody in. You're going home. You can't drive. You know, from. December 15th until this Monday, I've sat in my house at this spot and haven't left. And have told everybody don't come visit me. Like these are all signs, right? Like that. Yeah. I might be, I'm in denial because we're all in denial. Nobody ever wants to say like, we want help. We want to talk about what's going on. And I think that sometimes we get to a point in our journey that we do need mental help, not saying like, oh, you have to see a psychologist, you know, but find somebody that can help you and guide you through because it's not just, again, physically healing, it's the mental component.
0: Absolutely. and There is such a stigma around mental health. And this is why it is important to keep talking about it, you know, hearing people's stories. And a lot of getting help does not mean going on a medication. A lot of times people say, well, I don't want a medication, but it's as simple as talking and just opening up and being honest and vulnerable about what you're feeling.
1: And I think being vulnerable is okay. And a lot of us strong women don't think it's okay. And I could say that I'm 39 years old and I'm just learning to say, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask for help it's okay to not be okay. Allow yourself to feel those feelings, but don't get stuck in those feelings and trap yourself. Like you're in a box in a corner, you know, you, you have to let those feelings out, whether it's to a friend or to your physician or to your mom. And I think often we just bundle them up and I'm, I'm no better, you know, but just opening up when you can or to who you can.
0: And, and validating that it is normal to feel this way, that as you said, it's okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to not be okay. And then making an action plan about how you're going to move forward, Correct. right? Recognizing those feelings and saying, well, how do I, you know, I tell people sit in those feelings, process them, don't push them away. Cause the only way to get through something is to get through it, but what's the next step? Because otherwise I think we can get stuck in anything, you know, not just cancer related and any hard thing that we deal with.
1: A hundred percent. And there's something called a five minute journal on Amazon. I got it like, and somebody, well, I didn't get it. Somebody bought it for me seven years ago, almost. And like, I just started using it again and just realizing, like writing down those mini thoughts when you wake up and before you go to bed can really give you like motivation to wake up in the morning. Like I started on Friday and I'm not joking you Saturday morning, I was like, get up and go outside and go walk. And I pushed myself to walk a mile Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, I'm gonna do it no matter how tired I am. I'll come home and take a nap, but do it, get out. This morning, I'm like, I don't wanna do it. I was talking to one of the survivors on the phone. I'm like, I don't wanna walk. I don't wanna do anything. I just wanna stay home. And I'm like, you know what? get out there and do it and push yourself because you're your only, you know, you're your only limit. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, I like, I've heard this, you know, how you, you should talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a good friend, right. You would give your friend this advice of get out, go for a walk. But when we can't, it's so hard for us to take our own advice.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree.
0: So is there anything, Tracy, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to share before we wrap up?
1: I think just honest and be honest, be open and be real and take this information and just know knowledge is power.
0: It, it really is advocating for yourself is the most important thing. And I've seen this so much with COVID in terms of making sure you're up to date with your mammogram, making sure you're up to date with your colonoscopy, whatever it is, your pap smears. But a lot of those things have fallen through and no one's gonna advocate for you as like you are, you know, or recognizing that some of these, the symptom and the you know, that blue line in the breast is not okay. normal, you know, whatever it is. And, and saying, I have to, I have to take action myself
1: you know, taking that action might not be that easy, but take that step to better your health. You know, our stats aren't going to change from one in eight if you're not going for mammograms because of COVID. Our centers are cleaner now than they ever were. Mm -hmm. Go get your test, go get your pap smear. Nobody likes it. It's not comfortable. Get your colonoscopies. Nobody likes to drink the barium before, but these are things that we need to do to prolong our life and make changes. No one likes to go get pop smears, right? Like women today think, oh, well, pop smear detects ovarian cancer. It doesn't. Know what tests detect what so you can avoid getting it. As we all know, ovarian cancer is a silent killer. Let's make sure that we're avoiding this stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that one of the reasons that education online is so important is That it helps spread these messages, you know. Even if one person sees something and says, "Oh, you know, I I didn't get my colonoscopy," you know, I didn't go for my pap smear. I mean, that can that can save someone's life. Seeing those blues and those pinks and those teal colors, yeah, go
1: by them, stick by them. (laughs) You know,
0: as as like stereotypical as it is, I think the colors, you know, people do have recognition for those colors. They know what they mean in certain cases. Tracy where can people find you connect with you on Instagram you can find us at brca strong
1: on Facebook as well brca strong we have youtube and we have twitter all at brca strong as well as you can go on our website and go to contact us and we'll be more than happy to speak with you and help you in any way that we can
0: perfect thank you so much for doing this chat with me thank you Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Tracy. I think it is really important that we talk about previvors and what that means and how that comes to impact and shape one's life. And I think Tracy's story really gives you an important perspective of what it means to live with this increased risk and how you can take action. You can find Tracy on Instagram at Braca Strong. And as always, you can find me at Dr. Toplinski on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you are enjoying this podcast, I always appreciate if you can take a moment to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as that is the best way to help me grow the show and bring it to new listeners. I always appreciate any feedback, any thoughts, any ideas for the podcast. So feel free to share them with me. Have a great weekend and I will see all of you soon.